Nah, I mean, it was appropriate. I mean, we've lost a few games that way, and to um, be able to knock down shots down the stretch and make free throws, um, book miss one, but we executed to get the ball inbounds, ran time off the clock. Um, we took away the lob at the end, but then, you know, we made a mistake on staying with the guy. And um, stuff happens in games, man. We're, we're happy to get a win uh, off of a tough game yesterday. Um, the resiliency that we showed today is um, something to be proud of, and, you know, we hope to build on this. Hi, my name is Jared Dudley, and you're listening to the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show. So 51 games left in the season. Obviously, there's a ton of time for them to catch up, for DeAndre Ayton to come back, and for this team to actually make a run. You did see Devin Booker's uh, brother tweet out that he still has a lot of uh, uh, faith in this team. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton have only played one game this season. The schedule definitely does lighten up through January. Their next four games being against uh, tonight, uh, recording this Saturday morning, December 28th. They have the Kings, the Blazers, the Lakers, and the Knicks. Um, three of those games are very, very winnable games. Not to mention, I believe that the Kings are on like a four-game losing yeah, streak right so, now. So was Friday night's game, and they couldn't pull that off. So this schedule's easier if you play as poorly as they have and you play down to opponents, it's not going to matter that the schedule's easier. You're still bad, and they need to figure out and find themselves again. If they're actually that team from the beginning of the season, they better show up now because you're running out of uh, of leeway here. And just because the Western Conference, uh, the back half of the Western Conference is so bad right now does not mean it will remain that way, and you're going to increase that gap that you have uh, between you and and that eighth, seventh, and eighth seed. So, uh, look, it's starting to slip away right now, and they need to do something. They either need to find themselves or make some move that makes it clear that they uh, that they want to win this year. If that's if that's the plan here, and uh, and figure it out. And, and looking at the back half of the Western <coughs> Conference, don't you look at it and just go, "Who murdered my beautiful baby? Like who massacred my?" my child because the western conference used to be the conference of strength and now you've got sub 500 teams battling it out to represent the conference in that back half it's going to be massacred my child yeah like like it's it's just going to be like this is not the dark side of the sun (laughs) sometimes Uh, it is holy crap so you look Look, at it the the sons are suffering from an eclipse right now for sure and i love for a decade no matter how frustrating how frustrated I can get after losses. All I got to do is get on Twitter and get on this podcast and I feel better because you guys, <laughs> you guys are even more frustrated than I am. Look, we all want the Suns to win games. We absolutely want them to win games. We're so sick of it. So sick of them losing over and over and over again. Um, I did look at, I was looking for silver linings this morning and the Suns still, you know what? You guys tell me where do the Suns rank in, net differential on points on the on the overall season greg uh i'm gonna guess ninth what 
How uh, could they no. possibly be? Wait, Jesus uh, uh, 17th. Uh, they're actually 16th. So they're 13th in the West. They're 11 and 20. They're on an eight-game losing streak. They're proving they're still in. They're, they're not as awful as they're playing right now. They're not as good as they were playing at 7-4. and four. They're not as awful as they were playing that they have been playing. So they've gone. They, here's their stretches. 7-4, and 4-8, 0-8. Four, four and eight, oh and eight. There are their stretches. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, since, they're in that order. <laughs> since seven four, I'd love to see what the point differential is, because, or the differential is there, because they were so good early on. I think that well, they were booing. fifth in in net rating when they were seven and four, and they're still sixteenth. I mean, and their and their offense and defense are still in the middle third. I'm just saying that. They're playing awful in clutch situations. Absolutely, that's almost unsustainable. I know I've I've seen studies, or at least people who have talked about having seen studies or done studies <laughs> over the years, that say clutch situations are almost guaranteed to be a 50-50 situation over time. Um, teams are not consistently awful Unless if they get themselves in clutch situations. The Utah Jazz of last year, who lost every single game that was uh, within three points, I believe. But eventually, even maybe during the year, in rare situations, if you can if you can count them on one hand, yes, then it's rare. So it's rare that a team doesn't recover and doesn't level out. It's just there's there's peaks and there's valleys. And right now the Suns are 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 like uh, Kylo Ren who got uh, thrown down into the pit of despair at the at the end of that last movie. So Wait a ruin um, it. spoiler alert, everybody. Yeah. Hey, so uh, I know we didn't we didn't prep for this, um, but for the show in general, you're right. We did not prep for this. So. No, we Tim had, did some prep. <laughs> Thank you. And we we had a, a short texting conversation deciding what content to come up with. Um, but the sun skid that they're on right now does this make them more or less likely to be buyers at the trade deadline? I would I, well it depends on the mindset. It depends on if, on if James Jones actually thinks this is a good team that's playing poorly right now or a not very good team that uh, that isn't going to win this year but is set up for success over the next few years. If that's the case, I wouldn't uh I, I wouldn't make a big move if he if he doesn't believe that this is a a playoff caliber team that's just playing poorly. Uh, but I don't know what his mindset is. For me right now as a frustrated uh, fan and looking at it and looking at who potentially could become available, I think you make a big move uh, because right, we've seen how this plays out, and, and at some point the Suns are going to have to push their chips in and try to get somebody that changes all this, right? I mean, we, you, can't, you can't just keep doing the same thing and, and continuing the same patterns. At some point you're going to have to take a big swing and – if it becomes available between now and the trade deadline, I think you make that kind of move. I don't know. I, I think the the Suns, um, the Suns are still built for the future. They're the youngest team in the league. They're still, uh, while Ricky Rubio is in the final years of his prime, Aaron Baines is just Aaron Baines. He's a backup center. We need to stop worrying about that. Um, but they have a future that they need to build toward more than their present. The key is finding out how good can Cam Johnson be? How good can Mikel Bridges be? How good can um, Ty Jerome be? And guys like that. I mean, they've got some youth. And well, none of them seem like superstars. Um, you can't you can't just decide you're going to spend the rest of the 
the um, the rest of the year fighting for the playoffs if these guys are going to be traded. Now, I would sit these guys for the rest of the year, the youngest players who aren't playing as well. But um, if, if you're going to be going on a playoff run with the team you have or with a small move, I mean, I don't think anybody would, would fault the Suns for trading out Tyler Johnson for another player who may be more currently functional because we all thought Tyler Johnson would be a great third guard this year, and he's been the opposite of that. Um, so if you do that, and even if you pick up like maybe a Jeff Teague from uh, Minnesota and you play him the rest of the year as your backup point guard, I mean, there's there's no fault in that. He's also on an expiring. He's got basically the same size contract. As long as you're not giving up any assets, um, any future assets or youth that you want to keep, that kind of move is fine. Pushing your chips in to go for a Kevin Love? No. Come on. Well, I'm not saying Kevin Love. Again. I know you're not, but I'm, I'm just saying there has been talk over the past month that the Sun should put their chips in to get a third star or second star, excuse me, um, around this team. But really, they just need to they need to stay the course. And if they win 30, 35, 38, 37 games this year and they've gotten some development from their young players, um, I think that's a good thing. And I don't think they should they should deviate from that just because people are sick of watching this kind of – you can grow. They have to grow. If they don't grow, then you're going to have to turn over the roster yet again. But they're going to have – they have an opportunity to grow from this – from these experiences and learn how to get better at it and have a stronger mental fortitude. I think Tim was right that this is mental right now. Part of the mental problem is that you've got young guys who are in the rotation. Um, and part of the mental problem is that you've got guys who are a little bit soft and you need to figure out the difference. You need to figure out who's who in that situation. Oh, look, I have one name in mind, and I'm going to be that guy. If Carl Anthony Towns becomes available, oh, fuck which, yeah. was a, which was a report out of New York that the Knicks are, are, are monitoring. monitoring heavily. Yeah, well, every 30 uh, teams, yeah. 29 teams are monitoring. Actually, all 30 teams are monitoring Carl Anthony Towns. Well, 29 is- of them want to acquire him. Well, look, Absolutely. My, my head will explode if, if we see him become available and the Suns aren't a major player in that I was fine when all these other guys came available over the last few years and, and they didn't, the Suns didn't pull the trigger on those guys. But if you have uh, a guy like that sitting out there available and you don't go all in on it, that's the final straw for me because not only is yeah. he a great player, he's Devin Booker's uh, good friend and he's a, he's a proven quantity. So if, if, if that guy becomes available, that's the name I have in mind that you push your chips all in and, and say, screw it. We're blowing up what, whatever this base is sure. we have here. Because that's that. still building toward the future. Yes. And I would give up whatever they want for him, for sure. Uh, um, absolutely. And if that includes Mikel Bridges, if that includes even a Cam Johnson, if that includes who I, I would less, I'm less inclined to trade Cam Johnson than Mikel Bridges. That probably tells you everything you need to know about me as a fan. Um, a lot of the stat nerds and, and NBA Twitter and all that really like Mikel Bridges better. But I, I have a problem with his with his um, aggressiveness. He even admitted, and you know, these the players hate this because they'll say something, um, being honest and open, and then fans will blast them for it to the end of time. I totally understand why a player is frustrated with that when that happens. But Mikel Bridges did say the other day, "Yeah, I have the tendency of of coming into a game and just cruising sometimes." Yeah, we see it, Mikel. We see it. <laughs> at least he's so, self-aware, right? But at least I mean... you admitted it, and 
when when you break out of that cruising mentality is when you're going to become a better player. And Friday night, I 100% felt like Mikel Bridges was cruising. He was he was a he was a positive uh, twenty on the court and was the only Suns player uh, that was close to that uh, having yeah, that kind but, of impact but, on the court. But he could have had a bigger impact, and I know um, people are gonna. Hey, there you go. Uh, people are gonna get frustrated over that comment that I made, but I think he could have been so much no, better. I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm not frustrated. I just of all the games, to he could um, have been so much better. Well, he no, could have, but he was no, no, the no, best player. No, he coasted a lot. No, he got a he had a good net rating because he played at the times in the game with the Suns as a team were doing better than the Warriors. Individual game plus minus doesn't matter. I don't like it. I hate it because it doesn't work. It's not the right. It's not the right metric because it all depends on the other four guys you were on the court with. Look, yeah, there's one the metric that matters. They that lost. Matters. He didn't do enough in the end. <laughs> Nobody did. That that's that's the problem here. Like I don't care that he's a plus. It wasn't plus twenty. It was plus eight. Hey guys, it's Espo back to remind you that there are many ways that you can support this show. Uh, you can start by following us on Twitter. You know, following us at Sun Solar Panel. Leave a five star review. That's right five-star review. You probably remember when I used to do that. We might even read it on the show. You can click the link in the bio and leave us a voicemail and, and support the show that way. Or you can go to sunshirts.com, buy a shirt. Or, you know what? There is another way. There's, I told you, there's so many ways to support this show and keep Dave with getting his Geritol, get Tim to get his glasses, keep me feeding my daughter, however you want to look at it. You can help a help the show out you can donate uh, as well if you click the link in the show notes you can donate one five ten dollars uh, to the show and it is greatly appreciated as it helps us keep doing this this is a passion project for Dave Tim and I we all uh, do other things but we love connecting with you the Suns fans twice a week so support us sunshirts.com you can donate follow us leave a five-star review however you want to do it we appreciate you and you know what if you donate 10 bucks tim's gonna send you some sun uh, solar panel swag i don't know where he's getting it it's probably some shady place that that he knows about out there in florida but it's cool stuff so uh, donate thanks again uh, greg here and tim and dave also appreciate you it's sun solar panel you can support us sunshirts.com or leave a donation Are you sure? Yep. Okay. Well, the box right now. But who else? Who else? Still, nobody else. Who else? You're right. Nobody else was close to him. Everybody else in the lineup was a minus. But Tim, what I'm saying is that when I was watching, he was getting beat to beat to loose balls sometimes. He never should because he's got those gadget arms. He, he wasn't really fighting and he wasn't aggressive. He was cruising. He was still good as a cruising player, but he's not a difference maker. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I do think that, that Cam Johnson, we don't talk about him enough on this show this season. There's a lot of factors behind that. I think this is one of the few seasons where we aren't relying on a rookie to be a big difference maker. Uh, but quietly, uh, he has been really good and progressively, I feel, getting better throughout the season on uh, both ends of the court. And I hope that he gets a, a larger role. Yeah, what we could sense. talk about is Monty having faith in in guys that we wouldn't necessarily have faith in. Now, everybody is an armchair coach, right? 
it's okay. Um, we all think we would do something a little bit differently during the game. I'm less critical on coaches than most because coaches are playing, uh, deciding things in the heat of the moment. But you do have to look for trends. And I mean, the, he doesn't. I don't think he plays Dario Sarge quite enough. Sarge kicks, uh, busts his butt every second he's on the court. He never cruises. I do think he plays uh, Kelly Oubre a little bit too much, especially in his bad games. Um, he plays Frank a little bit too much over Dario when he really should be. Um, and and why wasn't Check even Check even on the court in a game against guys who were just diving around and, and not playing very good basketball on the other side? Check would have been perfect as a counterpoint in that game. Mikel might not be able to might not be getting enough minutes. Javon Carter was not as good as his 19 minutes suggested. Uh, last night. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can look back on a game and say, gosh, I would have done it differently. But hindsight's 2020. And we all praise the moves that work and we condemn the moves that don't. Um, but it is interesting that he does seem to favor like a Frank Kaminsky over a Dario Saric in critical moments. And I don't quite understand that. I that's agree. Wh- that's why you're not making, you know, Six million dollars a year to be an NBA coach, I guess. Exactly. So I'm not. I'm not a fan of questioning, second guessing everything. But over the course of the season, it sure seems like there's there's more Frank and less Dario than than I think is warranted. Which makes me wonder if that is tipping the hand that Dario isn't the long term answer that they're looking at uh, at power forward. That that he was a stopgap, nice to have, test him out, but he's not the guy they want. They want I think it's a great fourth spot. or fifth starter yeah. on a playoff team. I don't he disagree. Can't be I... your third or fourth best. He's got to be. He's got to be. There's got to be at least three guys ahead of him, if not four guys ahead of him in the talent scale. And then he's a great glue guy. Well, the Suns uh, have a lot of guys like that. Not a Frank's lot of not a glue player. guy. Even Frank is the dude who should be waving a towel on the end of the bench. Oh, uh, I do think I do think Frank has been has been better than that uh, as as the backup five. I don't think he should be the guy waving the towel uh, at the end of the bench, but I, I do think that he's been pretty good. It will be really nice when we can just have a rotation that involves DeAndre Aiden and Aaron Baines and sometimes Sheck at that five spot, and then Dario yeah. and Kaminsky at the four. Because while Frank can play the five. I'm just never going to fully buy that he is a natural five. Oh, Even when not. other teams go small, he's just right. Like he's, he's straight up a power forward. Zach he's, Lowe at the beginning of the season kept calling him a backup five. And I've never, I've never seen it. Well, because his feet are so slow. Uh, so about, he needs the smallest space possible to work in, but he doesn't mean he's very good at that. It just means if he's going to have a place on the court, it's either going to be standing behind the three point line slowly or, or defending the paint slowly, but never getting outside the paint. As soon as you pull him outside the paint in defense, he just gets crossed up easily. So everybody's been talking about as if when we get DeAndre Baton back, that's been like this this demarcation line. It's, it's all we put. have, Greg. But but let's be honest. I don't think he's going to fix what is going on here right now. Like it's lack of effort on defense. It's it's not being able to make the smart decision uh, in the clutch. It's not being able to close things out. These are not DeAndre Ayton strong suits. So I don't know, but but what DeAndre Ayton can help with is 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 all the stuff in the middle of the game that's currently killing the Suns. DeAndre Ayton does not turn the ball over and he makes his shots. So you get him the ball more. He he forces some defense to defenses to rotate to him. Right now, 
um, the Suns are so easy to figure out because every big man is um, is trying to get to the three-point line. And so you don't have to pack the paint, and you can blitz Devin Booker, and you can blitz Ricky Rubio, and you can blitz anybody you want to. So I think DeAndre Ayton forces the middle of the game to be a little bit different than it is now and easier for the Suns. Um, while he isn't going to help in the clutch necessarily, he'll at least make the shots when he's given the opportunity to. And he can get rebounds better than anybody offensive, else on this team. Offensive rebounds specifically, and we talked about the Suns in the clutch, uh, offensive rebounds for the team, for the Suns, 20% compared to 24% for the opponents. He would help there as well. I think that's, he would. that's fair, but I, looking at it, I think they've dug themselves too much of a hole. If they were closer to, to 500 like everybody thought they'd be when, when he came back, uh, maybe that becomes a difference maker to me, but I don't think he's a a nine ten game swing to put you back at five hundred or over. Well, they, over they only need three. They're they're three three games behind the eight spot right now. I think in the long run we're going to see these other teams that have had slow starts that people expected to be better in that back half of the West go on some runs to be closer to 500. Yeah, well, we'll see We'll see how that year. goes, Greg. I think by the end of the year, it's going to take 41 wins to get into Same the playoffs here. too. Uh, 40 or 41 wins. I totally agree with that. And I don't think DeAndre Ayton is the answer uh, to winning games. The dude's only 21. He'll be the youngest dude on the court as soon as he comes back. Um, however... He does a lot of really good things that we have been missing uh, seeing the Suns do on court on the court for months, and I think it'll be a nice revelation when he does get in there. That doesn't mean he's going to be the difference of winning and losing, uh, but it can mean the difference that it's easier to win the games uh, at the end than, what if, than currently. What if he helps tip the scale in just a couple of games and the Suns get out of this mindset uh, – and they get their confidence back. I mean, you know, right. all, all, it's getting DeAndre Aiden was supposed to be the Suns' second best player. We don't know because we haven't seen him this season. Um, but if he is getting a solid number two next to Devin Booker, uh, I think can make a big difference. And I'm not even a huge DeAndre Aiden guy, but I, I do think he will be a, a, a blessing on this roster. Um, this team needs to wake up. And at what point do we wonder? <laughs> do we wonder if uh, why Monty Williams can't get them to to tap back into what they had at the beginning of the year? I'm not saying we turn on Monty Williams or anything like that. I'm just simply wondering: are, is the mental makeup of these guys not not the right kind of group you need? Because this isn't a team. The, most of these guys haven't gone through these poor seasons that, that that us as fans have experienced here in Phoenix, most of them are new to Dave's point. A lot of them have playoff experience. So what is causing this mindset all of a sudden to just perpetually buy into, into the losing, right? They're, they're four and 16. If I, if I did my math, right. Since that, since that fast start four and 16, yeah. what, what, what changed so much vastly, mentally that they that they now have just bought into that they're just not very well, good part of it in things part of it is that they're forced some of them are being forced into bigger roles than they had when they were on winning teams or at least teams that made the playoffs i mean frank himself hasn't been on winning teams but he made the playoffs once uh, with charlotte and uh, he had a smaller role than he does here right now with deandre Ayton out uh, kelly Ubre had a smaller role shooting team in the league they were for a little while 
they're not going to end up like that. That's fine. But they shouldn't be 26th in making wide open threes either because they have some average to um, fairly above average shooters. So they should be okay. They should be better. Uh, and that's that's the way it that's the way it should go. So I, I think I think the Suns are um, better than they're showing right now, and that's what I was kind of giving with that stat. Um, but they're I'm not trying to suggest that they're good or really good. They're just better than the than terrible. Better than terrible. Your Phoenix uh, Suns. Yeah, hey, Dave. So I really hate to break this to you, but everything you just said did not go live. So. I'll throw it back to you uh, because now it's been fixed and we appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I'll be better on my next version. Yes. Yeah, we so, doubt it, Dave, but go ahead anyways. <laughs> yeah, Dave, I never what, am. What was, the, what was the stat of the week? What were you uh, getting across with that? <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's just recap the whole thing. So the Suns are second in the NBA after almost half a season now um, in generating wide open threes and wide open threes are defined as no defender within six plus feet. That means this ball swinging around and the Suns get a mismatch or, or they get somebody being doubled and all of a sudden their, their shooter is wide open. The Suns um, are 26th in making wide open threes in the NBA. They're second in getting wide open threes. They're 26th in making wide open threes in terms of percentage of shots made. They're only at 35.7%. That's just below league average on all threes. Um, but you should be able to make above league average on a wide open shot. These guys, it's kind of like shooting in warm-ups. They make 8 out of 10, even the bad shooters, 9 out of 10. They should be able to make these. Uh, and the Suns are not. And six of the Suns' main rotation players are shooting below their career averages, which is still not great career averages on on wide open threes, but it's still better than this. And so all of Mikkel Bridges, Devin Booker, Dario Saric, Tyler Johnson, Kelly Uber Jr., and Ricky Rubio are all better at shooting wide open threes than they've been this year. Even Rubio is um, two years ago. Last year and the year before, he was he was making uh, 37%, 38% on wide-open threes. Uh, Kelly Oubre, two years ago, was making uh, made over, uh, I think it was 39% on wide-open threes. Zarya Sharch, two years ago with Philadelphia, was making, made 43% of those. These guys are better shooters than they are right now on wide-open threes. They'll get more comfortable, they'll get more used to it, and they'll, they'll get better. I'm not saying they're good, because good is everybody making 38 40 42% on wide open threes. Now, I'm not saying the Suns are going to be good at that, but they should be better than 26. Well, are some based on that stat, you got to wonder is some of a defensive strategy or certain teams just leaving certain people open nah, from three they're, because they're, they're tra- not as they're concerned? Trapping Booker. Trapping Booker. Yeah, but you, well, you're yeah, choosing yeah, but to trap the, Booker and leave somebody open. the frequency open. of the shots, they're getting a very good distribution of shots two of their three-point shooters, these guys just aren't making them. Um, there, isn't, there isn't like Rubio taking six of them out of the 21 or anything like that. They're That's all fair. shooting one to two to two and a half um, wide open threes a game. So it is swinging around. And yes, Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio should not be even taking threes, period, if you can avoid it. And they are getting wide open threes and taking them. They're not getting more than anybody else. So I think... Um, I think you're, part of it is the defense wanting the right guys to take wide open threes, but part of it is the Suns' offense getting that for everyone. One guy who never gets wide, wide open threes, six plus feet, 
is um, Devin Booker. He gets 1.6 a game. He got about that number a year ago as well, uh, whereas uh, some of these other guys are getting just over two. So well, Devin, Devin uh, you, Booker, you wish Devin would get more, but he's he's never going to get left open. He's not. Uh, he's not great off the ball. He, no, he's, he's not. not. He, and but, not but bad in off years the ball, past, he's, he's not... been 38, 40 percent on wide open threes just because it's an easy shot. And this year he's at 29 percent. That's going to level out. That's going to get better. All right. So Cam Johnson's the only one we allowed to shoot wide open threes anymore, right? That's the rule. <laughs> well, it'd be great if people would leave Cam Johnson open, uh, but he got, <laughs> man, he's starting to get swarmed on when he's open. Uh, you can see defenses just suddenly panic and two or three guys are running at him because they, they, they can't believe they left him open. So uh, that's forcing defenses to get out of sync and Cam's going to figure out how to take advantage of that. Um, Booker's got had to figure out how to take advantage of that. That's another example of when you bring DeAndre Ayton back into the fold, all of a sudden it's not just Aaron Baines or Frank Kaminsky in the middle waiting for that outlet pass when, when guys are getting blitzed on the, on the wing. And uh, there's, this, there's this one play where Devin Booker is being blitzed just because he crossed half court. Um, and he swung it over to Ricky Rubio, who quickly swung it to Aaron Baines in the middle, and Baines scored. You could do that every time with DeAndre Ayton down there, um, and he'll be able to score. Of course, half his shots will be mid-range, and you want him to drive to the hoop. Uh, but maybe they can, they've got to coax that out of him. Yeah, on on that uh, on that pick and roll, it seems like we're getting two feet closer to the basket than uh, than Aaron Baines does. But we need DeAndre Ayton when he comes back to fully commit roll, to rolling all the way to the hoop. That'd be nice. Yes, uh, not 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 uh, you know he he needs to pick and roll, not pick and pop every single play. Yep. Um, middle segment. Uh, I just called it the middle segment. <laughs> you did because you titled it that. Middle segment. Look at us. Look at the production value on this show. Others will creatively name it. We're just calling it the middle segment. <laughs> well, wait till he wait till he reads the next line. <laughs> so, uh, coming up on the end of a decade. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty excited that the the 2010s are over. It's it's been it's been a 10 years uh, for me oh, personally, man. it's definitely been, uh, a 10 years for the Suns. A lot of the other shows are doing the defining moment of the decade. That being said, we thought we would do anything but the defining moment of the decade. But before <laughs> we can do that, we need to define what a decade is. Does it start 29, 2010? No. How can you, how can that count as part of this decade if 20, if 2009 is part of what you just said? No, that season does not count in this decade. So then this season also doesn't count. No, no this season count. does. But it goes, it starts with a team. It, this one counts. You can, it's it's, it's got to be a 10 year period. So if you don't count the first one, you have to count this one. We're counting this one. Okay. It starts with the teens. 2010 11. To 2019-20. All right. Well, uh, I, I never go first in anything, so I'm going to go first on this one if you guys do not mind. Go right ahead. ahead. All right. I'm going to do with the anything but the defining moment of the decade, um, uh, depending on how you guys want to go with this episode. But I went with the firing of Alvin Gentry for Lindsey Hunter because that then spawned basically everything that was uh, uh, terrible for the Suns. 
over the next couple of years. After Lindsey Hunter, you had Jeff Hornacek, then you had Earl Watson, and then you had uh, Jay Triano, and then, of course, you had Igor, and finally over here with Monty. But that stretch of Lindsey Hunter, Jeff Hornacek, Earl Watson, and uh, Jay Triano really, to me, encapsulated uh, – the decade for the Suns. You, you forgot that they offered David Fisdale the job and he turned it down as well. That could have been a train wreck too based on what happened in New York. But <laughs> yes, dear Lord, I remember being there uh, with the team for that that uh, whole time period with the, the Lindsey Hunter debacle and Alvin Gentry knew it. He called it before the season that this guy was brought in and he's going to basically stab me in the back. And it, and it played out exactly that way. That's just the way Lindsey Hunter played it. And uh, by the way, how many coaching jobs has Lindsey Hunter had since then? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely zero right there. And uh, uh, a, a factor that comes into play before what you just said, and it's not my, my uh, answer to this, but it, it's another thing to take into consideration was uh, – they hired Lance Blanks, who then allowed the Lindsey Hunter situation to occur, and uh, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the mess started with uh, with Lance there. So, so your um, worst moment of the decade was the hiring of Lance Blanks. No, my no, I was just pointing that out to to Tim that there was a precursor to uh, to what he thinks is is the worst. No, mine. For me, is uh, it, it was the signing of Isaiah Thomas and the letting and letting Channing Fry walk, right? Because at that point, uh, you had a forty-eight win team. There was good chemistry. It felt like you were building something with uh, with the group. And all of a sudden, with Isaiah Thomas coming in and letting Channing Fry go, and Channing was basically the heart and soul of of that 48 win team and whether he was going to be able to play to the level that he played that season, uh, moving forward on that next contract. Sometimes you have to look at it and go, this is going to help the human side of this team. And sure. Maybe he backslides a little bit on productiveness or stats by the end of this contract, but he's going to keep this locker room, uh, in balance, and instead they, they let him walk. They think they get Isaiah Thomas on this great contract, but they create a three-headed three monster at point guard where you already had a pretty good chemistry with Gorin and Bledsoe. Then you add a third element in. It throws everything off. It leads to uh, Gorin demanding a trade. Uh, the, the locker room spins out of control as Isaiah gets traded. I think that eventually leads to the Morris brothers becoming a, a bigger problem. And this whole slide starts because you misjudge the human side of the game because they were looking at Isaiah Thomas going, the analytics say that this is going to be a great move. This is a great value. It's going to help this team. And he may actually be better than one of these other two point guards, uh, you know, looking at it just from an analytics standpoint. And there were meetings where we were told this, we were walked through decks about, uh, about how this was, was the case. And I don't disagree that the numbers suggested that, but the human side of that proved to be one of the worst things that happened to this team. You went from very promising excitement in a 48-win season to this backslide to being one of the worst teams and the worst team uh, in the NBA. And 
if they had made the right decisions that offseason, you never get to the point where you're you're missing on top of the lottery draft picks because you you're building on something and you're a winning team at that point, or at least you're building a winning culture. That moment sticks out to me uh, as the sore thumb and everything we've had to deal with over uh, over the last uh, handful of years. Well, I'm just going to go even further back than that, and I'm just going to say the hiring of Ryan McDonough. I mean, we went through a year or two where we called him McStunner and McNinja, and he, he everything he touched, actually just a year, uh, everything he touched was gold. He had a great start, but he had no idea how to build a team. The only good team that Ryan McDonough ever built was the one he tried to build to be 60 win, 16 wins and get the top pick in the draft. Ryan McDonough tried to tank from day one, and it failed to the point where the Suns were too good. Then he goes, well, okay, then I'll just sign some big guys. And he went after LeBron, his first um, a full summer after after that 2013-14-48 win season. Goes for LeBron, loses Channing Frye in the process, has Eric Bledsoe um, holding out, doesn't know how to manage any of the contracts on his, uh, any of the people, like Greg said, the the people side of it can't handle any of that, alienates a bunch of people, and it all goes downhill from there. Then in his second summer, he tries to sign LaMarcus Aldridge, and he goes, well, I'm just going to sign Tyson Chandler first. Great. But then he didn't finish. He didn't finish anything he started. It's like it's like uh, you're looking at a menu, and you go, oh, let me just get part of that dish and part of this dish. you got to do the whole thing. And he never went all the way on anything until he finally went all the way on tanking, and it was ugly losing as many games as possible for that number one pick and then picking the wrong guy ultimately. So it's just Ryan McDonough, the hiring of Ryan McDonough and keeping him for as long as he did, including that final summer building an entire roster and then firing him when the roster looked terrible in preseason. That's just the worst. That, that's the so, defining moment of the decade. So you're saying Robert Sarver is the defining moment. Well, he, he came in before the decade, so I can't uh, use him. So I'm going with his, 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 Ryan McDonough was the hire everyone thought was the right one that he made, and it turned out to be the absolute wrong one. Look, I'm not going to give Ryan McDonough a pass, but I still go back to if you're going to if you're going to look at a GM that started all this, it's Lance Blanks. He waited too long to deal Steve Nash. He he put a team that was was mediocre and non-competitive, but not bad enough to get you good draft picks uh, like that it started there ryan mcdonough finished I remember it, this first but, i remember lance blanks first comments after he got hired by the suns it was hey I'm gonna, I'm gonna disappear for a little while i'll see you guys later i haven't <laughs> even really looked at the roster i'll look at it when i get back from basketball without borders yeah in august after free agency mm-hmm. they didn't even he he was so not ready to be a gm in that summer of 2010 that Robert Sarver did all the GMing. And then they said, Lance here, you can take a team that's been Lance did the same thing to James Jones, by the way, James Jones did better with it. I mean, excuse me. Um, Robert Sarver did the same thing to James Jones. He had somebody else build the roster. And then he said, take over at the beginning of the season. Um, luckily James Jones is a little bit more competent than Lance was. Uh, but man, his first comments being, I haven't really, I don't even know really who's on the sun's roster. Yeah. It, it was. It's like an absentee parent, you know. You know, latchkey kids. This was a latchkey franchise for Foster the three parent, years, yeah. for the three years that uh, Lance Blanks was at the helm, and and it started there. It started the mentality uh, of of losing, and it's a stench they've yet 
to figure out how to wash off themselves. I love the positivity of this entire episode. <laughs> hey, it's, yeah. the name on the screen is, is <laughs> Suns Game, Bloody Suns Game. I mean, come on, what do you want? Oh, Jesus. Uh, cool. Do you guys want to do the, uh, the Espo's uh, no. Dunkey Award, or Let- should we keep going with the... Defining, undefining. Moment. Oh God, no! There's, there's a. There, I, I'm too depressed to listen to any more undefining moments. Dave, do you want to? Do you want to throw any others out that uh, that are soul crushing? I mean, there's well, there's so obviously pick, the Eric Bledsoe tweet. You pick one of the two GMs of the decade, and I pick the other of the two. So I think we do agree that it's probably Robert Sarver was the undefining moment of the entire decade. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair, and I think yeah. we all know that. I actually, I also think the hiring of me was a pretty stupid move as well by them this decade, but I rectified that for them. <laughs> I'll I, agree with so, that. So we'll Cheers. count that in there as well. So, yeah. All right, you want the Dunkey Award? Sure. A quick reminder, this is in honor of Nate Duncan, who was our first Dunkey Award Oh, who finally winner. blocked me too, by the way. Hey! What did what did you do? Probably nothing. I didn't do anything. He I was associated with not a... tweeted at him for six months, but yeah. he finally figured out that he was still following me. Nate, Nate Duncan realized, oh, that guy's on the show that they give out an award making fun of me. I better yeah. block him as well. Right. So simple. Simply put, Nate Duncan uh, hates on the Suns, and this award goes to our favorite hater of the week on social media. This week it goes to. At John underscore Bacon. This guy was a real peach to a lot of people uh, on social media. One in particular was Gerald over at Fansided. We've had Gerald on multiple times. One of the hardest working guys I know uh, that has covered the Suns over the last half decade or so. It's tough to find any reason to hate on this guy. Yet Mr. Bacon uh, found a way. He said, I started my career the same way you did, little boy, and realized it's a dead career. So sorry, just because we have a similar, uh, different, he's got all these spelling mistakes, too. Does not make it better. In fact, good journalists would know better. He, He continues his rant going at him, saying... Also, having a master's from ASU in journalism is like being the tallest midget. That's his quote, not me. And I and I hire people for real jobs. And this guy started coming after me too. Uh, this this guy is a a real special kind of person on Social Sun's Twitter. So at John underscore Bacon, you get this week's Donkey Award. And you know what? What I'd love to see is these people in real life and how they'll how they would treat um, all of us and each other in real life as opposed to the the bully social media pulpit that's that's being offered up here oh gerald i love your work i read you all the time on twitter and uh, on fan sided that's how it would go well, yeah. Greg, why are you why are you following this guy i'm not following him oh gerald was he, responding to uh, us, gerald so was responding. i saw it too Gerald, um, Gerald Gerald quote tweeted him, and then yeah. this guy tweeted at me, and I and I responded back to him. That's how how it started. Yeah, how it usually starts with uh, with these people. Trust so I hope us, we're not actually following that guy. And, and, yeah. uh, John, I hope the lump of coal that you got for uh, for Christmas in your stocking helped warm your ice cold heart because uh, you you probably need it based on on some of these tweets. So enjoy your Dunkey Award. You very much are in the spirit of Nate Duncan. And if you want to follow Nate uh, lead and block Gerald and I, I don't think we'll feel very bad about it. (laughs) Uh, This guy's Twitter feed. It's funny. All right. So next week we will be back with a much more positive episode. Right, guys? 
Unless Absolutely, this losing the streak will have won a game. That's right. They will both be <laughs> losing streak. It's if, it's almost impossible to lose this many in a row. So you got to think just just by luck they would win one. Quick, quick, cut this clip so we can start next week's episode with it when we're staring at a uh, thirteen game <laughs> losing streak. Ugh. All right. Well, uh, 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 what? Merry New Year's. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. Hopefully this next decade isn't next as year, painful folks. as this last one. And on that note. <laughs>